The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. What everybody in Sheeran and uh, Elton John... Elton John will be grand in July, by the way. I was telling the lads this morning, Casey and Ross, so we got it there confirmed in the news at 9 o'clock. Elton John is fine for for July. And now we have uh, Ed Sheeran for the 28th of April, isn't it? Around that time, yeah, 28th of April. So all's going good, all's going good. Although they're not very happy down at Parky Cueve this morning because of that decision by the City Council yesterday. Uh, Fiona, this, I think, to be fair, we were looking at this plan and talking to the residents and looking at the detail. The residents didn't, the residents will be very happy here, but the, obviously the GA people will not. Uh, tell us about what happened yesterday. They got they got a surprise because they were expecting to get this permission, weren't they? They were, PJ. And we had Michael O'Flynn on the show here speaking to you a couple of weeks ago about their plans. And I think that the big key issue for them was to increase parking in the area for big events like what you mentioned there, Elton John and Ed Sheeran and all of the games that they would have across the year. But they also said that the car park would be available for the public um, at the rest during the rest of the year. And um, they also had um, a concern about safety, particularly the lack of um, disabled parking spaces in the area. So they were expecting, I think, to get uh, the go-ahead on this development and they have, uh, we have asked them to come on the show this morning, but they have declined because they are planning to meet or they're seeking a meeting with the City Council to discuss Mm. this further, but they have issued us with a statement and they have said that it's with surprise and extreme disappointment that this decision was made. Um, And they have gone on to say in that statement that the remain serious safety issues and infrastructural deficits that have the potential to impede the development of the stadium into the future. Mm -hmm. Um, They said that their intention was always to enhance the operation of the stadium and to improve its interaction and integration with Marina Park. Um, They say that they submitted the planning application in good faith following extensive pre-planning consultations with Cork City Council and had sought to engage positively and constructively in the process. As applicants, we were expecting a request for further information from the planning department and would have fully engaged with that process as is standard practice mm-hmm. in most applic- applications of this size and scale. No such res- request was forthcoming and I'm assuming that when they do or if they do have that meeting with Cork City Council in the coming weeks that that's an issue that will be brought up at that meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also gone on to say the outright refusal raises serious and immediate questions about the safety of the existing vehicular access to Parky Cueve via the pedestrianised marina. Cork GA has gra- grave concerns about this ongoing situation. Mm. So I don't think that we've heard the end of this, PJ. Well, Owen English has a piece in the Examiner this morning pointing to uh, what they call available flood storage. That Where they want to put these two car parks, 
there would be av- the available flood storage, which I assume is where flood water go, mm. would be limited if you put car parks on top of the green space. Yeah. Now that's a very clear environmental barrier to doing it. You can see where they're coming from. Yeah. But look, these things are never over at the first hurdle. So one would assume that they'll either have another go or they might go to onboard Planola or, or whatever. So it, it isn't over by any long shock. Do, have they got their meeting request from, from the council yet? No, I think this decision um, came in to them yesterday evening. So they have, um, I'm not sure if they've actually put in a request to meet, but I know that they are planning to do so or they're seeking a meeting. And they've also said that they'll continue to seek to engage with resident okay. groups and all interested parties parties in a meaningful way so okay. do you know they are planning and pressing ahead with this in, in, and trying to get it over the line but as you said there are a number of environmental issues as well so I'm not sure if it's going to be that easy for them okay. See where it goes anyway Fiona that meeting will happen when it happens and if look the GAA are perfectly happy to are perfectly welcome to come on the show with us we have invited them, they say they won't until they've had another meeting, that's fine the residents, they're quoted in the examiner as saying that the refusal was the right decision. Uh, Colm O'Leary is their spokesman, and he said, we hope the stadium is successful, but not at the cost to or the detriment of Marina Park. About 100 people had made submissions on the planning application. Uh, But that's the bit that Owen has in his third or fourth paragraph. He said, city planners said there was a presumption against developing land zoned for public open space, the location of car parks would limit the council's ability to develop a large, iconic public public park. That's one bit. But the second bit, and this is the bit that I think jumps out from the report, the proposed car parks are within an area identified as flood storage for Marina Park. And allowing the car parks would limit the available flood storage volume within the park and in the wider Docklands drainage strategy. And in the city, where we have flooding on a regular basis, that has to be something that you take into account. We'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes, but that's that's an interesting one, that particular line. 1850 There was a meeting due to take place last night between the residents of College Road, Magazine Road, that general area, and the president of UCC. Uh, the chair of the residence group, Catherine Clancy, was on this programme on Tuesday. She was very upset, still very upset, following what had been happening over the weekend. And at that point, Catherine Clancy was calling for expulsions and she was calling for people to be arrested. And she was using words like criminal behaviour to describe what had happened on the previous Sunday night. And she also met with Superintendent Colm O'Sullivan uh, down at Gaddy and Anglesey Street. And the meeting with Professor John O'Halloran, President UCC, was last evening. So did anything come from that meeting, Catherine? Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on again. And first of all, I suppose that we, myself and Aidan Cahill, who's our secretary, met with uh, Superintendent Colm O'Sullivan yesterday morning at quarter to nine. And um, we outlined again our concerns of what happened in the area, particularly on Sunday night, and that no fines were issued. He did agree, like, you know, that um, the situation on Sunday night was uh, warranted more support. He did say there was a major incident that they were dealing with. But he told us then, which we were happy to hear, is that, um, you know, the guard presence was increased. And we've noted that in the area, we can see it. Um, you know, there were 12 guards on duty uh, every evening this week in the area. 
Unfortunately, um, he has also told us that uh, there was a rest made Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday night. Mm. And there was, we believe uh, there was a rest made again last night. Mm-hmm. So also what he did tell us is that, um, you know, we spoke, we felt that ASBOs were a perfect fit for, you know, what was happening in our area because nobody wants to be affected long term. Mm. Sometimes people do things I when they're young. I suppose for listeners who you know? wouldn't know the term, yeah. Catherine, yeah. an antisocial behaviour order in ASBO. Yeah. What does that what, what does that mean for a person if they get one of those? What it means really is that you first of all you get a warning and secondly of all then like you know if you have a repeat that you actually go to court and there can be a, a, an order put on your name for 2 years you know, that could progress to something else if there was uh, another incident. But usually that's lifted then off the person's name okay. after two years, you know, okay. but it is an ASBO that actually is attached to okay, your name. So it's like penalty yeah. point on a driving licence, yeah. you know. So we've had yeah. some arrests. Yeah. That's been confirmed. Yes. We don't know whether or yes. not any of those ASBOs will follow. Though you met President well, O'Halloran what he did say, No, sorry, what yeah. he did say is, and that's important for us, is that there were ASBOs issued in the area in yeah. the last number of weeks okay. and that they, he sees two progressing from this week. What we did say to him, we said, like, you know, what we find is that the guards are calling to the houses and the young people aren't uh, who are holding the parties are causing antisocial behaviour are not answering the doors. And we see the guards going away again. He said they come back, they come back the next day. And um, but then we say people in the house say they weren't at the party. He said, no, he said the ASBO is issued to the registered tenant. See. So that's that's important for us. Like, so they are being proactive on that. Okay. So that's okay. something that we welcome, and he will continue in conjunction with UCC to support the residents. And as I say, we have seen that for okay. since uh, since Monday, definitely. You were meeting with so, the president last night. Yeah, yeah. So last night we met with the president, and the first thing that um, we again we welcome that he took time to meet us, and uh, you know that our relationship is continuing. He did uh, first of all tell us that a joint letter went out yesterday. Um, from himself and uh, the president of uh, MTU, Maggie Cusack, and also signed by um, the Students' Union of MTU and signed by the Students' Union of uh, UCC. And what they said in the email is to be mindful of themselves, first of all, of course, but to... um, that to uh, to act responsibly, I just read out a part of it here in your few PJ, to act responsibly, having respect and consideration for all members of our community at what remains an anxious time. And then highlighted on that letter, please do not take actions that will impact your future. Mm. So what we take from that is when we spoke to the president last night, he had, uh, we believe he, you know, as I said, I felt he was listening on Monday night <clears throat> from what he said back to us last night. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, PJ, he... Um, very strongly stated that the words he he said be in no doubt that he will use every tool available to deal with students uh, rep- mm. uh, co- breaking the code of uh, behaviour. How did he respond to your call for expulsions? What he has said there now is that first of all, like why we all recognise that a fair process must take place, and uh, we 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 all be reassured of that. Like you know, there will be fines, there will be. Uh, Sorry, that's my something pause in my kitchen there. Sorry, there there will be for, there will be fines, there will be uh, suspensions, and there can be fines up to five thousand euro. He will himself, um, with the register, 
uh, move to expulsions if the, if it warrants, and that he okay. has in the past, which he has, and he did do. He said, "I have, um, you know, been on record. I've done expulsions, you know, and nobody wants it." But he said, "I am committing that if you know a code of behaviour is broken by a UCC student that warrants an expulsion, it will happen. But we will be definitely moving to suspensions." Okay. What? Well, lastly and briefly, Catherine, yeah. are you nervous for yeah. the weekend coming? We're not. Uh, we're 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 trusting. We're trusting, we're trusting that the message is getting across to the, as I say, I can't say it enough, PJ, 21,500 students walk through our area every day, causes no problems. We're trusting that those couple of hundred students, you know, another one of them getting arrested last night, that they will get the message. Also, what we got as well from the president, which we welcome for the very first time ever, they are going to appoint a dedicated community uh, worker. So that post will be advertised. Also, litter pickups the next day and which was never done, a university that has uh, gone from a couple of thousand students, and I know one of your listeners commented the other day on this particularly, that from a couple of thousand students to now over 22,000 students, the uh, never an impact statement on the effects of that on an established residential community. And so that's going to be done. And also what we are saying, PJ, and thank you for your time, is that we're calling now for a national strategy on the increase of antisocial behaviour around universities right across this country. You know, it's happening in UL, it's happening in Galway, and we feel like, you know, that... It's, it's worrying, and there seems to be, as um, Colm O'Sullivan said to us yesterday, there's a change in society, and it's very, very concerning, okay. for, you know, and that needs to be dealt with. Okay. So it thanks, looks like you had, not at all, Catherine, it looks like you had some productive meetings over the last 24 to 48 hours. That's Catherine Clancy from the College Road and Magazine Road Residents Association. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996 On Cork's 96FM. I think what's surprising a lot of people about the uh, Parky Creeve decision is this belief whether it's true or not, you tell me that what the guy wants, the guy usually gets. And on this occasion, they haven't gotten it, at least not at the first hurdle. Uh, we've got some stuff coming in on WhatsApp. I'll use that one in a minute. But uh, if you have something to say on any topic of conversation during the morning, a great way to get your voice on air and your opinion on air is with a WhatsApp voice note to 083 396 96 Read a statistic in the newspaper. It's one of those... What? Seriously? Uh, well, up to half of primary schools in the country have now had a case of COVID in the first two weeks of the school year alone. Now, yet, talking yesterday with Kingston Mills, uh, the immunology expert from Trinity College was saying he was acknowledging that at the moment we have a, a real problem with the young kids who are not vaccinated. They themselves, most of them, are not getting sick at all, uh, an awful lot of them. But of course, they're picking it up and they're developing wild symptoms. But there's the stat, it's in the examiner this morning in an article written by Simon Lewis, uh, that up to half of primary schools have had a case of COVID in their school. Let's go to Seamus O'Connor, he's uh, principal of Skullvrida Crosshaven and a member of the National Principals Forum. Seamus, that's a, that's a fairly shocking statistic. Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I think we spoke um, last October when I had cases in my school, and it was it was a relatively new occurrence at that point, and it made headlines purely because it was there was a lot of cases just here and there sporadic. Whereas I think uh, two two weeks into the term, so we're still not basically halfway into September. Um, anecdotally, nearly all of my colleagues that I'm aware of have had cases in their school to this point. So um, while I want to emphasise that we're all absolutely delighted to be back and, and happy to have the children back in school, it's far easier and nobody wants to go back to where we were, we'll say, six or eight months ago. But um, I suppose we just have to be cognisant of the fact that this is the actual reality on the ground in schools today. Because a huge proportion of the daily case numbers and the weekly case numbers that we're getting now are in young children and the principal reason for that is we're not vaccinating them yet. So, so when you get a case in the school, what are the implications? Well, the implications at present is, and luckily to this point, I haven't had one, but I know from previous experience, what happens is usually a parent informs you. And I suppose your immediate concern is the children who are directly around that child who, are, who is positive. Because bear in mind, um, at the end of the day, the children A are vaccinated, that's fine. But secondly, they're, they're not masked either. So I suppose if it was an adult environment um, and, and you had 30, children, 30 adults in a room that's 70 square metres and they weren't and they weren't vaccinated and weren't unmasked or weren't masked, I think there'd be major concern around that in this first instance. So what we're doing is that, look, the guidelines are, are that we're supposed to contact public health and then wait for a response. And as you know, Norma Foley says that as soon as you contact public health, the, the, the child who is positive is out. And, you know, there's no major push or concern there to get any other uh, in, anything else instigated. Look, but PJ, that's not the reality for a principal or, or for parents or our school community who look, we're ultimately charged with protecting. So what we're in a lot of cases currently, um, the schools are waiting up to two days to hear back from public health. Now, can you imagine if a school nice. knew that there was a there was a case? Okay, in a classroom, and you waited two days to inform your parent body around that. Two, that, hang that, 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 hang that on. Just Stop there happen. a second, now, Seamus. At the start yeah. of this, I would have yes. said two days, crikey. But now, yeah. 20 months into it, two days yeah. to get a response from public Correct. health. Yeah. That's crazy. That's just yeah, mad. Again, I mean, I can imagine he, he, lis he and, listens and, in Queensland. I can imagine Dr. Niall Conroy going through the roof. Scratching uh, his head. Scratching yeah. his head, wondering how, how they had two days to get a response from public health. Yeah. Good yeah, and PJ, again, to, to revert back to my own experience in October 2020, like we, we had relative immediate um, assistance from public health here in Cork. They were very good to us. Like we were getting responses within an hour or three. Good, we'll say. And should. at that point, they were stretched out there. They were stretched. They were telling me on the phones and I came on to you and said, we, you know, I was informed how stretched they were. So we're now 20 months in. We're, we now have a new Delta variant. We now have a, 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 a succinct part of the population that are not vaccinated, as in our children. And the Delta variant is widely accepted to be far more, um, what's the word, transferable, okay? Mm. So we have this unique niche of our population that is, is vulnerable and susceptible, yet the major supports that's necessary for the schools in those instances just don't seem to be in place. And if they are, they're overrun and there seems to be no care, sorry, there seems to be no uh, effort on the part of the stakeholders to correct this at, at present. But I know for a fact that a number of my colleagues, including Simon Lewis, who you referenced, waited up to two days to hear back from public health. So what schools in fairness, following on from previous experience and just anecdotal conversations, what schools are doing in the short term is they are reaching out to the, the children in the pod 
and saying, look, realistically, you should be getting tested because there was a child on your table that was ill. And they're also reaching out to the rest of the class to say, look, the pod is going to be told to stay at home. Um, but look, it's up to yourselves to take your own um, caution at this point. This, this, this is and, teachers and as principals doing public yeah. health work. That's not, that's not their is. job. I noticed in the it article is. that Simon wrote as well that in his own school, and he's himself a school principal, that... Yeah. The, the school had had three CO2 monitors for 28 yeah. rooms. What about yourself? Yeah. Well, he, he in his case, it, it increased up to nine after he said that. So in our case, we have eight classrooms plus two SET rooms and a halla, okay, that are being used by children every day. We were given uh, five. No, that's not bad. It's, but it's still one between two. Wouldn't you think if the only measure that was being instigated for primary schools to support them this year were CO2 monitors that every classroom in the country would receive one? But that wasn't the plan and that wasn't the intention. The intention was to give a number, to a, a specific, a set number of monitors depending on the size of your school. So in Simon's case, or let's take any of the larger schools in the city here where you've up to 28 to 30 classes, the most that they're getting is between five and nine. And in my case, I got five for, for uh, nine classrooms. Mm. So you're constantly having to move so, them around? Or, yeah, uh, and... and PJ, yeah, we, what we do is it's every second day um, and the, obviously you have a hygiene issue as well so that's why it's every second day we're trying to wipe them down at the end of the day and then pass them on and, and look, whatever about me, at least I'm an administrative principal PJ and if I have to contact people after hours or during school day at least I don't have a class. There are a huge number, like over half of the primary schools in this country are they've teaching principals right. so can you imagine the burden there of trying to mind and teach an educated class as well as dealing with the public health side of things yeah. if and when it arises and Sh- bear in mind Sh- PJ yeah. this time last year we only had a kind of 150 to 200 cases a day and we're at kind of 1200 a day yeah. and, and we know that uh, well over half of those are in very young people Last, lastly yeah. Seamus your phone is going there lastly do That's you feel okay. like you've been thrown under the bus a little bit here um, well, look, first, again, to reiterate, this isn't a complaint in the sense that all schools and all principals are 100% happy to be back in school. And it, and it is far easier for the entire community. Like, we're very happy to play our part in getting sure. the country back up and running. Right. That's the first thing. However, like I you interviewed me on the 27th of August in 2020 when I reopened my school. OK. And I said to you, I wanted a minister for education or, or the, the government as a whole to take this take the the regulations that are given to schools and take the whole issue and take it by the scruff of the neck and lead us properly, okay? And here we are um, basically 13 months on, 20 months into the overall um, pandemic, and we still feel like I'm, I'm reporting the issues that I'm reporting you this morning, and I feel that, you know, even from a ventilation perspective, if you, if you, if, you know, if, if you knew an adult who, even for people who aren't teachers, people who may have children today to, to make a kind of a comparison, if you owned a nice um, two-bed uh, mid-terrace house, which is about 90 square metres, and you had a child yourself and, and you had 27 of your friends in there, for, of, their, of your child's friends in that house for for let's say six hours a day for whatever reason right and your best ventilation was opening windows you'd be concerned about the potential for passing um the, the covid virus around within your house right and it's the same with us i mean i have eight classrooms here they're they're 77 square meters bar opening windows what else can i do to ventilate the rooms and you know that's the concern that we have yeah. as, as principals yeah. pretty much, pretty much care, in no. the same position as you were a year ago seamus is what i think yourself and indeed simon lewis saying in that article with a much more aggressive variant, a much more spreadable variant, which at the moment is running riot among young children because they're not vaccinated yet. Thank you very much and good luck for the the, the future. And again, he's stressing they're delighted to be back and delighted to be open.
but they need a bit more attention into how to keep the place safe. 1850-715-996. Yeah, Paul wanted to make a comment in a WhatsApp voice message about Parky Cueve and the decision, in case you haven't heard it, the decision to turn down their application to build two car parks down there. Uh, Paul had a WhatsApp voice message to 083-396-9696. PJ, this will be a prime example now for Cork City Council to get up off their backside and go ahead with the tram system. Bringing her in from the airport, bringing her in from Ballancolic, they could also run a tram line down the marina, past the park, all the way down Black Rock, all the way down to the bottom of Matten, and that could come back up. So everyone would be happy and it all be sorted. You could increase tram times for matches and for concerts and nobody would have to walk up and down. That sounds like a wonderful idea, Paul. Thank you for that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Cork's 96FM loves Irish music. As part of Irish Music Month on Independent Radio across Ireland, we're looking for you to take part in our local hero talent search. If you're in a band or a solo artist, you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM in October. It's your chance to win an overall €5,000 prize fund, get your record released, and have your music played on 25 independent radio stations across Ireland. For full details, see 96FM.ie. Irish Music Month, proudly supported by Cork's 96FM and Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Kate wonders, what about Croke Park? You have to walk for ages because there's no parking allowed up there. Good point. 1850-715-996. Something I haven't done in years and I don't actually know how I would do one if I had to do one tomorrow. A job interview. I wouldn't have a notion. And a lot of people are having to change jobs now because the job that they had is gone uh, due to the pandemic or because they've come to a point in their career where they want to move on. And job interviews are never easy. If you do a hundred of them, They'll never be easy. But there's a few tricks and tips that you can use to get through the toughest of them. Quiva Burke from Burke Consulting HR joins me. Quiva, good morning. Good morning, PJ. The prospect of a job interview would fill me with dread. I wouldn't sleep <laughs> for a month. I haven't done one in, in years. Do they still ask daft questions like, tell me about yourself? Daft questions. So, yes, that is absolutely the first question that you are guaranteed to be asked in the door of a job interview. But you know what, PJ, the, the scripts in relation to the questions that are asked, it, it hasn't changed massively. Yeah. It just hasn't. Yeah. Like, tell me about yourself. Sorry, you've got a TV there in front of you. Everything's in there. You've read it, haven't you? <laughs> exactly. No, but you know what's really interesting is that you'll find that when people get asked, you would assume going into that question, you would be like, got this, super straightforward. But it's also the outset of an interview. So people get quite nervous and they have a tendency to ramble, right? And that's super normal. And hopefully you're sitting across, you know, somebody that's going to put you at ease. But going into any interview, you really need to nail that two-minute mm. pitch. So how do you not nail mess it. that question up? 
you keep it short and sweet. You start with your qualifications. You know, I was in school, I was in university, then you go on to your career history. And then what's a good thing to do as part of that is, let's say you're somebody in retail that's interviewing for a customer success position in a technology company. You would say, you know, you know, I've got experience dealing with people. I've always really enjoyed that. I'm all about giving the best experience to customers and touching on points that are relevant to mm. the job that you're interviewing for. There's a lot of what they call, I think, competency-based interviewing happening these days where they put a scenario to you. Absolutely. And and you've got to describe how you would or how you did get through that scenario. You can pay people money to teach you how to answer that question, can't you? You can. You can. I don't think that's necessary, though, because typically those questions, they follow a fairly straightforward pattern like if you're thinking about the job in customer success let's say they're going to ask you you know tell me about a time you dealt with a difficult customer or tell me about a time you had to solve a problem or tell me about a time you um you took something and you ran with it so really if you have like four or five uh questions answers to questions prepared i think you see what i think happens a lot of the time is that people just have a tendency to maybe wing it like i'll go in and i'll just kind of say the first thing that comes into my head if you're serious about the job the best advice i can give anyone is just prepare yourself like you can anticipate the questions that are going to come and if you have a couple of examples in your back pocket it's just going to make the whole thing so much easier on you and practice those i guess practice 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 look at the end of the day like you're relaying an experience it would be ideal to be i guess pulling on experience that is more recent in recall but the person across from you you know if you don't have the exact scenario perfect they don't know they don't know how it went down right so don't stress if you're not pulling every detail they look for your strengths and they look for your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Now, adjudicating yes. yourself is the hardest thing to do. So how do you pick a weakness that won't lose you the lose you the gig? Okay, so there's two things. First of all, don't say that you don't have that you don't have any, right? <laughs> don't go down that route. The second thing you don't do is say you're a perfectionist. I think in all my years of interviewing, that's probably the one that just grates on me the most. Um, I think, look, speak speak to something that is, you know, yes, uh, maybe a weakness, but something that you can absolutely work on. So let's say, for example, you know, you're interviewing for like, you know, a mid-level role in a business and you say to the interviewer, look, I'm not super confident at public speaking i get nervous right like that's a great weakness that can absolutely be developed on over time or you can say look i get impatient when things run behind you know i i've learned to work on that but when things run behind it gives me a bit of anxiety so you can touch on weaknesses that aren't like overtly terrible right they're things that you can build on and work on but the the biggest thing with the weaknesses question is just it's around self-awareness like does this person have a clue what they're not particularly good at Mm, mm. the other one which i would see as a trap is why do you want to leave your current employer (laughs) yeah okay so this does come up and i can say that i ask this question in any interview that i do and it's not meant to be a trap it's just to understand the person's like underlying motivations uh this is not the time to say oh i just i really dislike the company or i don't like my particular manager they're really hard on me this is where you say look 
um, I'm, I'm super interested in progression and I uh, I want to be somewhere where that is more clearly set out for me or, you know, I don't I don't really do well with um, bureaucracy or slow decision making. And I find that sometimes people get too bogged down in the details and things don't move as quickly as I maybe would like to see them move. I, but I think a good one is is the development. And that doesn't mean you have to be scaling upwards to a managerial position. Maybe you just want to broaden your skill mm. set and that opportunity would be present in this particular company. Okay. Where do you see yourself in five years? I hate that question. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that question either. So do you where do you it? see yourself in five? I, I, do you know what? I actually don't personally, but right. it does. I, it's not an unusual question. Um, in five years, you know, I think it's it's great to say that you envision yourself with the company. Although, you know, who knows, right? We're seeing a lot more traction. People staying three years in a company is an absolute coup at the minute. So I, I think the, the, you know, the answer here is like, you know, look, I'm just really keen to continue to progress and learn and develop in my career. I think that those opportunities are present in this particular organization. But mm. maybe you're somebody with, with greater ambitions. Maybe you want to manage a team or maybe you want to develop a new skill. Mm. So it's it's touching on things that show the employer that you're, you care to engage, that you're motivated, but that you also, you know, you don't know what the future holds, but yeah. This would be something you would be interested in progressing. I or, heard of or, someone or who answered that question by saying, "I heard sorry, I heard of someone yes. who answered that question by saying on the other side of this table." Oh, well, that's I think that's a fabulous answer, but know your audience. <laughs> <laughs> Some people would be really threatened by that. Yeah. So if you go down that route, just be just be aware. I also mm. think if you're maybe you know fresh out of college and that's the response you're giving, it might be a little bit yeah ambitious and lack self awareness. But it shows confidence, and I think confidence is is good. A question that sometimes gets thrown in at the end, and you never know whether you're doing well or you're not doing very well. Uh, when they ask this question, or maybe it's a standard, I don't know. Is there anything else you'd like to know? Absolutely. I think it's really important to be ready for that question because it's the perfect opportunity for you to show an interest in the company. Like, here's the thing, as a hiring manager, you know, as a HR professional, you're seeing you're seeing tens, hundreds of CVs any given week, and you're looking for candidates that actually, you know, care about the business. So my advice is that, you know, ask them, you know, what, what are the training opportunities? Where do you see the business in the next three years? Um, it's if you if you do again, it's back to preparation, preparation and mm. research. There's tons of information out there, right? So check out the company's social media postings, things that have happened in the maybe the news or you know business related news with them recently, and have one or two educated questions around the company. Or if you don't want to go down that route, then ask them, you know, what is the natural career trajectory for this particular position, or what training supports do you have? What would the first month look like, oh. or what challenges would I see? In my first kind so of here, year, you're telling them then, oh, I'm 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 preparing for the job already before oh, you even yeah. give it to me. Another one, totally. Uh, Colin says, and said that the one that they dread is give an example of teamwork. <laughs> but look, you know you're going to get that question. So again, take a minute. Well, don't take a minute. Take maybe a half an hour ahead of time to actually prepare a decent example on teamwork. And look, maybe maybe you're maybe you're just sort of 
university and, and you haven't had maybe a you know quote unquote proper job. Talk about team related activities that you've been involved in, you know, sports wise. Um, ideally, yes, in a job interview, it would be, you know, it would be good to give something from a work experience um, point of view. But like talk about a team project, you know, or, you know, I had a particular colleague that was falling behind on, you know, a, a certain part of a project. So I, you know, I, I reached out to them and said, look, what can I do to kind of help you get this over the line? Like it doesn't need to be over the top. It just needs to show that you care to collaborate yeah. and help people. Yeah. That's it's it's not they're not trying to trick you. Like I swear to you, at the end of the day, every HR professional in this country, every talent acquisition, you know, person, hiring manager, they are desperate for talent. Right. Yeah. They, they they want you to get the job. And I think a lot of time people go into interview, understandably they're very nervous, totally yeah. get that. But we we need you and you need us. So it's very much yeah. a it's a win-win scenario. Like yeah. we, we want you to be the person that we fill the job with. Yeah. Someone's got their questions written out here. That clearly they, they're preparing Excellent. for an interview soon, but Great. they got their questions ready. But they're saying, how do you answer without sounding like a total control freak? They all make me sound yeah. very hard, all these answers. Uh, well, if you, the particular answers that this individual has listed out for themselves, mm. is that? Yeah. I guess, well, if you, great, great self-awareness, right? You see that they're particularly hard. Take a minute to maybe soften them or reflect on what you've learned from it. Like you can, like, I'm not saying to people at all, at all go, go in and fib in an interview, but you could say without being overtly negative or giving a super negative scenario, you could be like, you know, I've tried this in the past. I saw that it didn't work. So this is what I've done to kind of help me evolve and grow in these particular situations. Like you can be crafty in interview, like you don't have to bear your soul. But at the end of the day, it's um, it is a bit of a dance. And if you're going to go in and, you know, be overtly harsh or negative on yourself, you're probably not going to get the job realistically so mm. maybe 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 soften the tone or choose another example that actually shows you're 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 capable of showing that you know yeah. ability yeah it's 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 a tough old market out there but like you said, yeah you, they, they want you there you wouldn't be there they if they really didn't do. want to know more about you because there was a hundred cvs and they're interviewing eight people so you've already yes. achieved by getting to that point Fantastic. Absolutely. And then another thing I would say is like, look, we're all so interconnected. If you're super, if you're, if you're super interested in a particular job, yes, prepare, but also look at your network, check out LinkedIn. Who do you know that's also in that business? I can give you the inside track, right? Like be, be, be savvy, be crafty. Um, And there's, you know, it's, um, it's, we're looking for talent, right? So, so it's a very, it's more of an equal footing than I think people think yeah, yeah. every day is they've mm. got boxes to tick and you have to find what those boxes are and take them I, as I said I, I often say that if I interviewed tomorrow for the job I now hold I wouldn't get it that's just me but then I prefer to be on the other side of the- <laughs> I highly <laughs> doubt that now PJ to be fair I highly highly doubt that but um, you know it's also you know you go in you're prepared you're just a bit more relaxed don't wing it you know absolutely yeah. don't wing it and then just one thing I would say with regards to an interview if you are super interested in the position is after the fact send a follow up note say thank you I think that's been lost mm. in all of this send mm. a and if you don't you, get right? the job send an email and ask by the way where did I fall down yeah, and be nice about it, right? Just go, really appreciate your time, but you know, I'm looking to improve and I'd like to know how I can maybe do better in my next interview. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so, so that's a good thing. Plum, um, o- plum, plum just, just, pays. Plum pays off. Yes. <laughs>
Quiva, good talking to you. And thank you very much. And good luck to anyone who's sitting an interview in the, the weeks to come. That's Quiva Bork from Bork Consulting Human Resources. The weird question started, says this person on the phone, when the schools began coaching people in how to do an interview. Hobbies and social organisations and all that. They were given to us as scripted answers. Peter once, I, no, I'm not endorsing this, but good man Peter, if it worked out for you. Once went to an interview, says Peter, for a part-time job I didn't really want. Wore a t-shirt that said, work sucks, go surfing. <laughs> when asked, where do you see yourself in five years? Is it a no idea? <laughs> Got the job, and he's still there two years later, and he loves it. Maeve says, my friend was asked in an interview years ago uh, where her faults were, and she said she could be lazy. She didn't get the job, but she thought that what might have gotten against her was that she was so honest. 1850-715-996. On the students and UCC, Listerman Blackpool says it's not just the area immediately around the college has a problem with partying students. A lot of the Blackpool places, like Gerald Griffin Street, outrageous behaviour. Thursday to Sunday especially. I have an awful feeling student patrols or increased policing around UCC won't extend out this far. It has to be based around sanctions in college as well, or ASBOs, not patrols in one particular area, so every neighbourhood gets protection. And Michael says, every September I hear on your show residents complaining about students and their actions. Every year I hear from administration of UCC about actions taken to assist the residents. Clearly, nobody in authority is prepared to take action against the students because many of them are from privileged classes and act with some degree of entitlement. This behaviour has gone on for decades and nothing positive ever happens to present it. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie All the stars on one show. Yo, what's up? It's your boy, KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're picture this. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. With New Market Motors Volkswagen. Low rate finance and purchase contributions across the Volkswagen van range. Newmarketvolkswagen.ie. Corks 96 FM. The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Big night for me tonight. I'll tell you more about it a little bit later on. It's culture night, of course, but it's a very big night for me for a very particular reason. Uh, if you have any plans for tonight or for the whole weekend anyway, let me know what they are. But I'll tell you about mine. I'm really excited about tonight. Just it's it's simple, it's a simple thing, but it's very exciting. So I'll tell you later. Uh, 1850-715-996 Still got some stuff coming in About interviews And some stuff coming in About the schools From the first hour uh, There was a very good point Being made there About that one 
I'll find it again in a minute. Oh yeah, Unpost. Deirdre was on from Glenmire. What's going on with Unpost deliveries? A letter posted from a Curtain Street last Monday still is not in Bishopstown and today is Friday. Um, my daughter is waiting on a parcel paid for as next day delivery sent on Tuesday. Uh, still hasn't arrived. A refund draft sent for €180 Euro for two tickets to the All-Ireland still hasn't arrived. Now we have to put in a claim for it. Is this all down to the closure of Little Island? Do you remember that story? We covered that on the opinion line. But that's the, that's the bad one. A letter posted McCurtain Street Monday. Monday still hasn't arrived in Bishopstown today, which is Friday. That's that's a bit Irish now, to be quite honest. 1850-715-996. This month is Alopecia Awareness Month. We talked about this before with Chloe. Chloe Sheehan from Chloe's Hair Affair. It's WhatsApp she's on for you, it is. Uh, and she's got a very big Instagram following and some fabulous photographs on her Instagram. And I guess, you know, people would always ask Chloe, you wear a wig. Why do you wear a wig? And then you're telling your story again. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good, good. You know, people will ask you, you're probably sick of, ask, of, of them asking you now, why do you wear a wig? Yeah, oh. PJ, people ask me the strangest things, but I suppose, you know, if you're not seeing me in real life and you're seeing me on Instagram and I'm talking to the camera, you know, I have a, I have almost complete regrowth. So from the front, my hair looks perfect. So, mm. you know, I always get messages off random people saying, why are you wearing a wig? And then I have to go through the whole spiel of, you know, I'm still bald at the back and I have alopecia and blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But Because there's, yeah, there's a photograph near the top of your page, the third or fourth one in, has you with lovely dark hair as opposed to all the other blonde. Is that your own hair? Yeah, the short, dark yeah, that's hair fabulous. is my own it's hair. It's lovely. Yeah. It's really nice. It's really, really nice. Yeah, it's, it's fab. It's, it's actually, it's really important for me to share that part of it because... I suppose I have alopecia for four years and when it was spotted, it was kind of, okay, you have alopecia, you know, we'll deal with this and try different treatments. And then as nothing was working, I was told, you know, the type of alopecia areata I have, it's called offices. It's kind of in a wave-like pattern. Um, I was told, oh, that won't grow back. And, mm. you know, then I was also told alopecia can, you'd be told a million things. I was told alopecia um, can normally have a life of about two years. So after the two year mark, you know, it can grow back. Um, and then I hit the two year mark, didn't grow back. And, you know, everything was kind of against me. Treatments weren't working. I was told it won't grow back and my pattern wasn't going my way. But I have, I have regrowth and, it's so important for me to share people, okay, it took four years, but my hair is growing well, back, it, you know. It, it's gorgeous, I have to say. Now, we've talked before. Oh, thank you. It is, it's really lovely. T talk to me a, bit, a little bit about alopecia. Like, people will be asking, well, obviously it's hair loss, but what causes it? How does it start and where do you take it from there? Okay. So you have loads of different forms of alopecia and hair loss in general. There's lots of different causes. Um, it can be anything from um, bacteria to genetics to stress. Um, it is an autoimmune disease. So, you know, 
although it might be caused by stress, stress and anxiety and all these sort of things don't help the situation because they raise your cortisol levels. So it raises the inflammation mm. and it encourages the hair loss. Never heard of it but, as an autoimmune before. That's a new one. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's an autoimmune disease. But, you know, they're 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 not really focusing in too much on looking for a cure for alopecia simply because they don't know the cause. Mm. So if you've no cause, it's very hard to curb it and cure it. And it's also seen as um, not a life-threatening disease, mm. which I disagree with, but that's that's what it's seen as. Mm. Um, there are some studies going on, but compared to other diseases and autoimmune diseases and disorders, it's, it's definitely something that's not research and I think down society level it's something that's not spoken about Um, and I think it's something that we do need to encourage because anything I speak about all forms of hair loss I mean there's so many people suffer from alopecia but there's so many people out there suffer from other types of hair loss like telogen effluvium from stress hair loss and you know even postpartum hair loss and it's something that gets people really down and it's something people are very ashamed of and I don't think that should be the case because mm. the more that we let people know that, come here, there's one in every four women will suffer from some form of hair loss at some point in their life, you know, then you're looking at a group of five women and, you know, maybe one or more has had some hair loss or will, do you know? So it's very, very important to get the conversation going and I suppose especially with alopecia awareness month i'm just really trying to get the word out there Mm. and i started my page in may 2020 and even the difference i'm not saying because of my page but even the difference in time you know people are so much more open about it Mm. you know take take some credit for that chloe because you see you know well but someone like yourself who's been through what you've been through goes and is that open on Instagram with your photos and, 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 and videos and stuff like that. It encourages people to say, do you know what? That's what I'm going through, only I don't have the guts to talk about it. So take take credit for that. Like, you mentioned the fact that, that sometimes it's dismissed as not life-threatening or, or not this, but I can't imagine what it must feel like to wake up one morning and to, as the first thing we all do, put your hand through your hair and a lump of it comes out in your hand. How does that feel? Yeah. Like, uh, I, I do think it is life-threatening, you know. I'm I'm very, I suppose I'm more open about it now than I was back then, but I'm open about it in speaking that I, I did go into the depths of, you know, depression when my hair came out. I, it was a massive mental health struggle. Mm. I would wake up in the morning and the person who went to sleep the night before looked different to the person in the morning because it was coming out so fast and it was getting so bad so quickly. So I would change. I was losing my identity every single day I woke up. I looked different and I couldn't sort of come to terms with it. My mentality couldn't keep up with the speed of the physical change. And it was it was petrifying. You know, I I would fall asleep and I would dream about it. I'd wake and I'd think about it. And it was just constant battle, something that I thought... I would never get through. And I looked to see, you know, I was looking online and I was looking on Google and there was these studies and there was these, you know, participants and nothing seemed sort of on a personal level to me. I could find Google images, but although 
two people in the estate I was living in, according to statistics, might have had it. I, I couldn't see anyone in front of me. I couldn't speak to anyone. And so that's why it was so important for me to say, right, I'm going to sort of normalize this. And I suppose I, I would have done a lot of, I, I was very, I am very fortunate in my life, PJ, of a great support system, a great family. I'm very, very lucky. And I always loved doing charity work. I always felt so blessed that I loved giving back. And it was nothing ever that was too close to home, you know. It was just always, you know, my grandmother died in Marymount. They were great. So I raised money for Marymount. Different things like this. And it was sort of like this happened to me for a reason. And mm-hmm. I said, right, Chloe, you were looking for someone, someone that you could just speak to on a personal level, look at on a personal level, and someone that would just be honest with you while you can hide in the shadows and try and deal with this mentally. And I couldn't find that person. So I said, look, this can be my good thing to do. I will be that person for other people that when they flick through Instagram, you know, they're sitting down the evening, they're feeling crap, their hair is coming out, they don't know how to deal with it. They'll see this girl who's normal, who talks about it openly, who shares everything she's tried, tips and tricks, and who you can just message and get an instant message back and just have a conversation with and sort of normalize the situation so that person doesn't feel so alone. You know, that they know that, okay, someone else knows how I'm feeling because I always harp on about it. Mm. All the doctors I saw, all the consultants I saw, all the herbalists I saw, everyone was saying, oh, you know, it's so tough and you poor thing. And I know how you feel. And I would look at people and I'd say, that's lovely. And I really appreciate it. I would say this in my head now, not to their face. I would would entirely say there, Chloe, unless your hair is coming out in fistfuls, you don't know how I feel. Exactly. I was saying that in my head, PJ. I wasn't saying it to their face, but that's exactly Maybe some how of these people need to be told that to their face, though. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when you're when you're sitting in front of a consultant who is trying to help you, and just you don't want to, just true, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's just that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, like you, it's so common, and yet people hide away from it. Um, so yeah, any they, words they for, any, for anyone who's just been diagnosed or woke up this morning with a fistful of hair in their hand and is terrified, any little bit of words of wisdom you'd offer as we as we mark alopecia month? So something I always do say to people is action. Action straight away. The very first thing you need to do is go straight into your GP and get a full blood work done. Um you know, there's different reasons for hair loss. It can often be a simple thyroid issue, you know. So once that's sorted, the hair will come back. Sometimes it's just lacking in certain vitamins. So the first thing I would do is go straight into your GP. Um, and then I suppose the second thing is get on to me. Give me a message. I'll, I'll, you know, get to the bottom of it, say, OK, have you been to your GP? What are you using? Have you tried this? I, I would definitely think that, you need to action things fairly fast. I left things a little too late. And that's what I put down to, you know, a little bit slower regrowth. Um, I left things hanging on a little bit. I was not accepting the situation. And I regret kind of not, you know, getting the ball rolling a little bit sooner. Um, so that is one thing I'd say is get into your GP straight away and maybe speak to someone who has hair loss and who is educated in different types of hair loss like myself, because I speak to so many different people, mums, dads, boyfriends, you know, men, women, 
about all different types of hair loss. And I always say to people, you know, let me know how you get on. And people come back to me and they say, look, I tried this and it didn't work. Or I tried this and it did work. And then I can sort of give a rough guide of, look, Mm. I I don't know, but this person tried this and it worked for them. It's worth a try. Because when you're in that situation, PJ, you'll do anything. anything. I've been there and I did do anything, you know. Talk about reaching out to people. Trish, who listens regularly to the programme in London, just sent me a picture of her daughter whose hair is growing back. She lost it when she got COVID in January. She lost whole tufts of hair. And Trish has been using a kind of a, as she said, it's a German shampoo on it. And it's growing back now. So they're so happy with that. Yeah, yeah. That that was another massive thing. There was a huge amount of people caught COVID and are growing through hair loss. As far as... I'm concerned the statistics are it is growing back for most people that have hair loss because of COVID but it's still something you don't want to go through you know Um, I suppose a shock to the system getting COVID and the stress of the whole lockdown and how hard it was on people is not going to help the situation either but it it is very common I'm hearing that at least once a week someone who's lost their hair after catching COVID Crikey Wow Yeah Wow. Well, that that alone, I think, will be, you know, so a bit of solace to someone like Trish and her daughter who who are going through it. Like you're hearing from someone once once a week. Chloe, I'm delighted to talk to you again. Every time I speak to you, you're you're more lively and positive than you were the last time. <laughs> and as I said before, your 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 own hair is fabulous, uh, and I'm delighted to see Thank it coming you. back for you. And and if anyone wants to go and visit you on Instagram, Chloe's Hair Affair, all one word. That's it. And look, I suppose my biggest thing now this month is I'm four years down a very long journey and my hair is growing back. So I never, ever, ever gave up hope. Even when I was told to my face to give up hope, I never, ever gave up hope. And Somewhere I think that's the wrong thing to say to someone like you. <laughs> I know, I know. And I, I just always kept hope and it just got me through the four years to be Good honest that that that's what did it for me um and look I'm on the other side so Good you know I would just say to people look after yourself don't give up hope you know there is light at the end of the tunnel if it doesn't go back we'll deal with that too we'll normalize it okay and I suppose yeah just raise awareness now for this month look after yourself Chloe always a pleasure to speak with you on the opinion line that's Chloe Sheehan can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie On Cork's 96FM. Question 9. What item of clothing is often double-breasted? Bra. Oh, did I don't did know you the... say that a bra often comes double-breasted? <laughs> 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 like if he brought us to the two gram in a course uh? of, appeal, of appeals. <laughs> Could he technically win that case? I think he could. Oh, my God. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Aoife was listening to Chloe and says, I went through a similar situation at the start of the pandemic. I found Aldi hair gummies to be the best and least expensive thing around. I tried them and I used them. I hope this could help others. Thanks, Aoife. 1850-715-996. We've spoken a couple of times over the last year or so to uh, Irene O'Connor, Bayveen's mum. And her dad wrote a beautiful uh, article in The Independent as well over the last few days. Um, Yesterday there was an anniversary mass uh, for uh, Bayveen and tomorrow night there is a Heart Angel concert and Irene joins me now to talk a little bit about that and about the first year, I guess, since the loss of your beautiful little girl. Irene, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Owen's piece was just heart-stopping. heart-stopping. I know, yeah. And I know. I don't propose to revisit the sadness of what happened a year ago, but, you know, you're, you're marking her first anniversary. Yesterday's little tribute mass was, was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, the concert tomorrow night, there's a lot of work gone into this. It's online, it's free, but you want people to make a donation. Well, so basically this concert is kind of what saved Owen and I over the last few months because we've been so busy with it. We haven't had time to think of, you know, the days last year, you know, you go through what happened on the day and and it can be very difficult. But because of this concert, we haven't had time to even do that. So I think we just catapulted you know, past the year anniversary and it really helped to have a focus. Um, the concert, it, it's um, the reason it's ticketless is because it's priceless because I think what it did is it incorporated the charity. So the charity is all about um, community spirit, kindness and all of these people came together and used their incredible talents. Like, I mean, it's, it'll blow you away. This concert's amazing what they, what they have achieved. And that's why we just... I actually said I I don't want a price in this because it's actually priceless. Um, so what we're asking people to do is if if they if they watch the concert and they enjoy it and, and they're able to, if they could make a donation to the Heart Angel charity, we'd be so um, delighted. Okay, what time is the concert and where can people get it? So the concert is tomorrow, Saturday at seven thirty, and it's on going to be streamed from www.theheartangel.ie. So don't forget the theheartangel.ie. Yeah. So it's our website. And, and who's performing, Irene? So basically, I'm here now um, with Brian Murphy. So he's our musical director, and he's the person who put it all together with the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the City of Cork Symphony Orchestra, and there's like Linda Kenny, Shirley, um, Ian McGurk, Michael mm-hmm. Green, wow. and a host of other superstars as well. Um, the, the amazing Katie and Farver playing um, Angel B. So Kate, um, so the, so basically, there's two characters, Angel B and Angel Quiva, yeah. and they're both based on my little girl B and my friend's little girl um, Quiva, who who she lost as well, unfortunately. And they're they're explaining all of the songs, so it's Disney songs, and every single song has a meaning um, behind it uh, to do with the charity, to do with Bayveen, and um, it, it's also t- teaching children and and adults, of course, to be kind, um, you know, to to enjoy and live your best life. Um, I think we could pass you on to Brian if you don't idea, mind. Irene, I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. 
Morning, PJ. How are you? Hi, Brian. How are you, mate? Um, it's it's sounds like a, a, a huge amount of work has gone into this, and a, and the makings of a beautiful show. What have you got? So I suppose, PJ, um, we have a we have the City of Cork Symphony Orchestra have been involved in this from the start. It's been a project very close, very close to our heart with with Irene and Owen. We weren't in. Uh, we're clearly in COVID time still, so putting a full symphony orchestra into a venue is is a challenge. So it's a, it's a slightly reduced orchestra. It's about a twenty five piece orchestra. Mm. Um, the, the, the show where they're they're specially produced arrangements of of Disney classics for the show. So they've been in the works for the last four or five months. Um, so all of the show is Disney. It's um, it, it's 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 a family show. So it, it, it every everything in there should be known very well-known numbers. So we've got, you know, very well-known Cork performers like Linda Kenny, mm. Shirley McCarthy, Ian McGurk, Michael Green. We've got a whole host of children, uh, adults, choirs, all done in a in a very COVID-compliant manner, which, sure. which was a challenge, as you can, as you can imagine. I'm sure, I'm sure. So um, was it was it filmed, or are you doing are, are you doing it live, or was the story? So we're 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 showing it tomorrow night as live as as it was filmed on the day. So we recorded it actually. Um, just nearly two weeks ago now, and we'd have to say, PJ, if it's okay with you, to, to acknowledge our production partners on this, who were Riverside Productions, who wow. did the most amazing job. Um, they created an atmosphere in the room in Cargilline when we, when we shot this on, on Saturday, uh, last Saturday week, uh, which was which was quite incredible. So we literally turned the ballroom in the Cargilline Court Hotel into a Disney studio for the day. Um, with all with all of the props and, and regalia that come with that. Um the crew were amazing and we have an amazing, there's an amazing crew of people involved in it. I think Owen and Irene have been blown away by the amount of support that they've got from even the crew WhatsApp who are involved in all of this now, all the performers in every single way, no matter how small a part, are all in the one WhatsApp group who all feel like that they're giving something back now to Owen and Irene and helping them through it yeah. and in their own way are getting a, getting a lot from that themselves. So I think there's it, it's been cathartic for everybody involved in this. Well, it's, it's, it looks like a wonderful, wonderful event. Um, you can, I'll finish with you there, Brian, and best luck to Irene and to Owen and to everybody else involved. And uh, we remember, we, I, I never met or didn't know Bevin myself, but uh, so many people have said to me she was such a beautiful little girl, such a wonderful little girl. And particularly Mags, for example, is a big fan of the show, always says she was a gorgeous little girl. And there's a lot more to the Heart Angel charity, which we've talked about. But that's tomorrow night. Thanks, Brian, and thank you, Irene. Uh, the Heart Angel, the for what sounds like a heck of a concert tomorrow night. It's free. But if you can make a donation, that'd be very much appreciated. Speaking of things happening for free, there's loads of things tonight because tonight is Culture Night uh, and I'm very excited about it tonight um, so we'll talk a little bit about Culture Night next Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call them now for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM Your guide to nightlife on Leaside Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment Northern Irish songwriter Foy Vance has just announced the 2022 World Tour which will kick off with a Cork show in Cypress Avenue on March 22nd Tickets are now on sale 
from the venue's website, cybersavenue.ie. After an absence of some years from playing in his native city, Rory Gallagher returned in 87 to perform for the first time at the Opera House. And on Friday, October 29th, Sinner Boy, the acclaimed Gallagher Tribute Act, will recreate that show at the venue with limited tickets on sale now. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Side. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. So I said to you that... I was really excited about tonight, um, and it's a, it's a very big night for me, not just because of what I'm doing. Um, I'm involved in Culture Night tonight. I was asked a few weeks ago uh, by Michelle Dunn, a writer, uh, to be part of an event at Spike Island, uh, where Michelle and Ty Coakley, Amy Cronin, Catherine Kerwin and Kevin Doyle are going to chat with me about writing crime in Cork. Now, what a setting to start with, with Spike Island, hoping the weather holds. And what a lineup of writers who have written some extraordinarily good books. Uh, I've been rereading them all again uh, in the last couple of weeks, um, and, and just the quality of Cork writing, and we'll explore that tonight on Spike Island, and it's it's free, but all the tickets are gone. Uh, but uh, Grania O'Connor is Culture Night uh, County Cork Coordinator. Grania, good morning. Good morning, PJ. It's gone from being an idea that we had or that someone had a few years ago to a national culture festival. It's brilliant. It's absolutely incredible, PJ. Um, Right across the country, not to mind just in Cork, people have just embraced the idea and the avenue for creativity that's there for both the participants and the audiences. It's, It's incredible. So what have we got in the county? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, we have, uh, Cork County Council have been fantastic this year in supporting so many different events uh, right across uh, the whole of this big county that we have. So we have um, everything, as you mentioned, from the, the wonderful event in Spike Island in Cove tonight. We're all very much looking forward to that. And the weather is definitely going to hold, PJ. We've, uh, we all have uh, our, our fingers on our, our toes crossed for that. But if you're not uh, heading to Cove this evening, um, there is Bandon have a wonderful uh, scale trail that they're launching uh, this evening. It's a project that the Creative Bandon crew took on last year and the year before to paint utility boxes based on the stories, um, the Ducas uh, folklore stories. So that's going to be wonderful. And there'll be some music on the streets. There's an exhibition in Bandon as well in the Grey Heron uh, Gallery. So lots to see and do in Bandon. Um, if Bandon's not near to you, maybe Carrigaline uh, is another venue that um, might appeal. 
the Carrigaline uh, Tidy Towns uh, Committee are launching, unveiling a magnificent sculpture that commemorates uh, the Carrigaline pottery, mm. uh, the lovely blue and white nostalgic pottery that we, we all uh, love. And Onabui Arts Collective are celebrating their very first anniversary. So they have um, magnificent artists' Brilliant. work it's around the businesses. Like last year was a bit of a, a bit of a write off because we had, but this year, we're still very COVID compliant, have to be. So there's a kind of a combination of online and, if you like, real life events. Because there was a determination to get it get it going properly again, wasn't there? That's right. Uh, oh. Online events this year, but actually 90% are in person this year. Yeah. All of them, uh, all of the events have appointed COVID officers and everything is COVID compliant. So, you know, sanitizing stations, masks, numbers are being very carefully monitored in the county and uh, across the country because really we, our theme this year was come together again. And, you know, Cork County Council have really supported everybody, all of the towns to do that and making sure that everybody can do so in a, in a very safe uh, and enjoyable way. Where, where can people find out more about what's on in their locality in Cork? Well, we have social media platforms. Um, we're Culture Night uh, Cork County. We have culturenight.ie for national listings, listings and then um, www.culturenightcorkcounty.ie for our regional listings. Okay, and good luck with everything. It's a big night for everybody involved. Grania O'Connor, who's the Culture Night County Cork coordinator. Thanks for that, Grania. And why is it such a big one? Because Michelle, and they've completely forgotten this, Michelle, Michelle, who I had on here a few months ago talking about her fantastic book while nobody's watching, um, she contacted me a couple of weeks ago to ask me would I be interested in this. And I said, yeah, you know what, that'd be great crack. And then I realised, tonight at Spike Island is my first live event since pre-COVID. So it's a big night. Um, God knows I wanted to get back to doing a few bits and pieces. And tonight is the very first one that I'm doing live, in person, uh, in what? Since pre-pandemic, since about 1946 at this stage, it feels like. So delighted to be there for that on, uh, on Spike Island. And whatever you're going to, whatever you're going to tonight, enjoy. Actually, there's a thing I mentioned how buzzed I am about something to do tonight. Live event, first one since pre-pandemic. That'll be the highlight of my weekend, unless I come up with something to do tomorrow night, which I haven't thought about yet. Haven't given it the first thought But what I'll do with me Saturday night just yet. I'll just sit in and watch the telly and get a pizza or something like that. Any plans, Fee? What have you got to, on, on coming up for the week? Oh, she's... Throw on, throw on that headset. You plans for the weekend? I know you've a bit of cooking involved, is it? Yeah, well, PJ, my uh, weekend is always really exciting with washing and cooking and uh, cleaning. <laughs> but um, I, um, since I started this job, I suppose I've had to do a lot of batch cooking, and I'm kind of running out of ideas. So if anybody has any ideas for things that I can batch cook and put in the freezer, I'd really appreciate it. I'm sick of the stews. <laughs> the why, not, why not just do um, uh, s- several stone of chicken nuggets, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 we could try that I'm also doing the virtual women's mini marathon this oh, Sunday really? as well yeah now um, I did it two years ago and I was really prepared and I was really fit and I'm not so so fit this time around I haven't been doing much running uh, at all how long is that? Uh, it's six kilometres that's a lot of up and down the garden yeah exactly <laughs> 
I might put the fit bit onto the dog. How, how do you do it? <laughs> how do you, do you go around the block or something with it? Yeah, you just run around wherever wherever you want. Basically, okay. uh, there's no big event this year. It's it's uh, um, you know it's virtual this year so right. you just do your own and you, you clock the time and you, you, you submit it then but like I was saying to my husband that um, I'm definitely not going to be as fast as I was the last time and he said but sure you're not doing the Olympics you're not trying to break your personal see? best it's just to do it yeah you see <laughs> the, the, he brought you down to earth there with a bang didn't he he did <laughs> alright thanks good luck with that then anyone else so it's what it's quarter to eleven on Friday uh, I love Fridays I'm out of here and the weekend starts on Friday so what are you going to do for the weekend do you know what I'm doing I'm doing my first live event since uh, the pre-pandemic Fiona's going to attempt the virtual mini, mini marathon as well as making up 400 weight of, of chicken nuggets and 20 stone of spuds for the, in between the, what are you doing for the weekend have you got a plan is it as simple as Netflix and a pizza? Or do you plan to venture out to the cinema? I know more, hundreds of people haven't been to the cinema yet. Uh, I'm so looking forward to it. In October, myself and the boy are going to go and see... We're going to go and see the new James Bond when it comes in. Because it's just not going to let the new James Bond be one we'll watch on a small screen. It's not going to happen. We need to get into the match. So the whole wall is taken up. That's really... So what are you doing this weekend? Are you going to go to a match... Uh, you're going to go just for maybe a few scoops and a bite and, and, and a bite to eat. Plans. Go to visit someone you haven't seen in a long time. Someone you mightn't have seen maybe since the start of the pandemic. If you're someone to go to see, some, something to do. Could be small, could be big. Have you a birthday party? Confirmation? Communion? Let me know what your plans are. Pop it on a voice message if you want to. And particularly if it's a first in a very long time, how much it actually means to you. Because getting back into things that we used to do, we used to take for granted. And we're gradually now able to do that again. Uh, if you go to a gig, anyone going to a bit of live music this weekend? I know some of the lads that I know who perform are so looking forward to doing their first live gigs indoors this weekend. So looking forward to it. So are you going to a bit of music? So have you got a plan for the weekend? All right, 1850 or text to WhatsApp 083 396 Pop us a voice message would be a lovely way to do it. Now, I didn't know this. I thought, it'll tell you how much I know, I thought that bike helmets were already mandatory and, and you had to wear a cycling helmet when you were cycling. Because any event that you take part in now, like a classic, you have to wear a cycling helmet. And just thinking of myself coming into work this morning of all the cyclists I saw, were they all wearing helmets? Actually, they weren't. And it is not mandatory. But then again, Olivia Keating would suggest that anybody with a bit of common sense would wear one um, because of what you yourself went through a few years ago. Olivia, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. And this is Cycle Week, of course, which we can bring that into account as well. So what did happen to you? Um, well, it was back in June of 2016. Um, it was the day before the, the Cork City Marathon. Um, and I was planning on doing that. Um, and my Achilles was playing up. So I went out for a cycle that morning uh, before I went into work. So I, I was working at the, uh, the Clonakilty Technology Park. So I drove up, parked up. And the plan was to cycle to Bandon and back just mm. before work. And it was kind of, I suppose it was a road I was well used to. It was a, a long stretch of a road you know, really wide, so cars had plenty of, um, I suppose, space to overtake. Um, 
So I said, I, I really felt it was kind of a safe option. It was in the morning. It was about 9.30. Um, you know, it was a lovely bright day. I was wearing high-vis clothes. Um, and the last thing I remember was um, cycling through Ballinscarthy, um, just through that town. Um, and then I woke up a couple of weeks later. Oh, really? Yeah. So, what happened? Um, so I got, um, unfortunately, I got hit from behind by a car. Um, and I got sent headfirst to um, a road sign. Um, and again, <laughs> stressing the importance of a helmet. Um, I did have a helmet on me that day. Um, you know, I was wearing everything high-vis. Um, but the, the helmet, as far as I know, um, just coming back from people who had, had roughly seen the accident happen, was I think the strap of my helmet might have got caught in the road sign. And that then as well prevented me from going out onto the road. Um, and I could have been hit again by another car. Um, so it did kind of bring me down onto like a, a ditch where there was a bit of a wall. I more or less broke everything on my left-hand side. Um, but I think, again, you know, that like, you know, it, it definitely prevented me from going out onto the road, which wow. probably was another saviour as well. You, you, um, you woke up literally... So is there, there must be how how long were you were you out cold for how long were you unconscious? I think for? it was um, it was about two and a half weeks. Um, I had to be put into an induced coma, um, and then I think I was actually quite comfortable in it, and I didn't want to come out. <laughs> um, so it, it took them a bit of time to to bring me back out of the coma. Um, but basically, I had um, a traumatic brain injury. So when I went in, the first thing that they needed to do was um, drill a hole in my skull um, to relieve the pressure and the swelling of my brain. Um, and then they put in monitors to, you know, keep an eye and they were put, like, I suppose, monitoring it nonstop. Um, I was in and out of resource for a while. Um, and then eventually I went into the, um, the intensive care and it was the, the neuro section. Um, so I spent probably about a week in there and then they were trying to get me out of the coma and as soon as they did then I was put into the, the neuro ward in CUH. And did it, did it leave lasting damage, Olivia? Yeah, um, like, like my, my, I also had lots of physical injuries um, which, you know, they're things that will give me slight restrictions for the rest of my life. Um, with the brain injury, yeah, it did for the first couple of years. Um, and I suppose the easiest way of trying to explain it, it's um, it's like someone hits reset, um, you know, with a brain injury. It's not that you're you're learning to do everything again. You know how to do it, but your your brain is trying to find a different path. Um, you know, anything that got damaged or bruised or banged up in the accident, for me, I just you know, for me to walk, I knew how to walk. I didn't have to learn how to walk again, but I needed to remember to lift my leg and move it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, the same with my arm. I needed to try and figure out how I was going to use my arm again. That um, connection so between like, brain and muscle had to be relearned, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And even like um, like learning to speak, um, I lost half my vocabulary. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, my language got quite colourful. Um, <laughs> my mother, that, on, on a lighter note, that is apparently very common with people who have a brain injury. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, and obviously my mother kind of, you know, gave me a couple of uh, warnings at that one. Um but it is, you know, it's like I couldn't, I couldn't find words. I kept forgetting what I was saying. Um, mm. You know, I'd probably talk to people for 20 minutes initially at the start and I would just go totally off track and constantly keep forgetting what I was saying. And, you know, and if, if they, they gave me a reminder, I was fine. 
Mm. Um, but even something simple like learning to eat, um, I had to, I had, you know, I thought the nurses up in CUH were great. They were sitting down chatting away to me while I was having my lunch. But they were actually there to remind me that I needed to swallow. Um, you know, I was putting the food into my mouth. I was hungry. I was, I was chewing away, but I, I just wasn't remembering to swallow. So, you know, there was lots of um, issues that I had initially. Um, but yeah. then over time, you know, and, and they do, they, they normally say, and of course, everybody with a brain injury is the same. You're, you're, you're asking your neurosurgeon, how long is it going to take? You know, what else is going to happen? And nobody knows because every single one is different. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, with me, you know, they kind of said roughly between two and five years, you'll get a, you know, a good understanding of what's going to be permanent and what's going to be, you know, um, you know what will eventually go in time. Um, so for me, I'm like to say I'm lucky. It's 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 really it is wondrous. Wow. It, it's um, I've made a fantastic recovery. And yes, there are some little impacts and little um, impairments that I have to live with for the rest of my life. But what yeah, I try you're, to do you're, is, you're here and you're talking to me and you haven't cursed yet, which is a blessing for us both. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia, you, but I think what's important <laughs> is you were wearing your helmet that day, and it, you believe it saved yeah. your life. Absolutely. Um, like even wearing that helmet. Um, no, again, with mine, I, I did go head first through that sign. But like without that helmet, I was dead. There yeah. was, you know, there was no ifs and outs about it. Um, mm. I think when they um, came to me at the scene, when the, the emergency services came along, I think I was either, I can't remember, it was either seven or eight on the Glasgow coma scale. Mm. Um so that's, you know, that's generally kind of, you know, she may not make it out of it at all. Yes, you know? it is. So, yes, it is. Yeah. So like the... You're lucky. You're lucky to be here and lucky you've made such a good recovery. The, the, the helmets are not mandatory yet. Uh, and Gardaí yeah. seem uncomfortable having to enforce something like that. But I think your message is, Olivia, personal responsibility. It saved your life and it can save the life of another cyclist tomorrow. Absolutely. And I, and I think it was the same with, with safety belts in the cars. You know, none of us wanted to wear them at the start. And eventually we just got into a habit and a routine. And now I think none of us would even start the car Correct. without putting on a safety belt. And I think it should be the same with a helmet. Um, I know they're annoying. I know they're not the most comfortable. They definitely look fair shocking at times. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. they don't look the best. They'll never you're be fashionable. Hair. No, they won't. Yeah. Exactly. And you're female and you're going to work and you're cycling into work. Your hair is going to be a bit of a mess. And, you know, so I, I know there's lots of things, but like people don't understand that a small fall off the bike can cause a brain injury. You don't need to have a big horrific accident. Yes. So. Like that's my message to people. Like just be so careful. Like you wouldn't drive your car without the safety belt. Don't get on a bike without a helmet. Um, it's like it's something I it should, it should be second nature. It should be second nature before you even get onto the bike. Olivia, good luck in your continued recovery. Thank you for telling us your story today on the opinion line. And to anybody else listening who doesn't wear a cycle helmet, she wouldn't be here today. If she wasn't wearing hers, I think that's message enough. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. Hear the full show on our app by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? 
1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Ah, some of your ideas coming in now for what you're going to be getting up to over the weekend. There's lakes of christenings on and, and confirmations on and there's some communions and soccer matches and over in Spain, Viv is planning a seven-hour wine-drinking marathon in the sunshine. I know, I'll read the whole message. It's not quite that bad. <laughs> not quite that... <laughs> that much. <laughs> Sorry, Viv. I'll get to them all in a minute. What are you doing for the weekend? Any particular plans? Our weather will be iffy, to say the best of it. Um, it's nice out there now, but it ain't anything like hot. Uh, and it might hold up as reasonably dry for the rest of the day and into the evening. Let's just have a look at what the ever-reliable... Uh, Dark sky says, not great, to be honest with you. Not great, although overcast and cloudy for the rest of the evening. Tomorrow, overcast overcast and cloudy with rain in the nighttime. Sunday, not too bad, much a bit clearer on Sunday. Best temperature on 18 degrees. And then an improvement after the weekend, ain't that just typical? But we make the best out of it for the weekend. Anything that you plan on doing. 083 396 96 I haven't seen this yet, but I can't wait to see it. Um, it and it's it's got very few words in it. Like, this is literally the only thing, the only two, or the only line in the whole trailer for this little film. And very few lines in this movie. It's only a short. It's only 12 minutes long. It's called... Uh, it's called All My Darlings. And it will be showing at the Indie Cork Film Festival. But you'll have recognised that voice, I'm sure. Because that is our Demi. And she's with me now. Is she on the phone? She is rather than WhatsApp. Hey Demi, how are you? Not too bad, PJ. How are you getting on? Great. Great to talk to you, girl. You're enjoying the afternoons and we're enjoying them at the weekends with you. But you've been you've been busy, busy, busy with this. This is real serious, heavy-duty acting because it's a show about a young woman who keeps having miscarriages. Yes. Um, it's about a young Nigerian woman who has her doubts about her religion and her church and just has doubts about herself because she can't do the one thing that most women in her culture do, which is give her husband children. She just keeps failing at it, and you kind of see her question everything in her life and her way of grieving and dealing with everything. It's it's completely different to what you're used to seeing me do. Yeah. But um, it was great to film, and it was it was fantastic because I got to play a Nigerian woman, which I've never done before. She yeah. was from Nigeria, from Lagos, and I got to do that, which was so much fun. I literally filmed it before COVID, or the lockdown happened, a week before lockdown. Really? Yeah, so it was, um, it was a bit mad because I was in Dublin and we were filming and then all of a sudden, like literally the last day of filming, that's when the first case happened. So, yeah, I remember it very vividly. How, how did you come to be involved, uh, Demi? Um, I got asked to do it by Eamon. Um, it's run by a group of students in Dublin. Um, it was a part of their project and they asked me to do it. I loved the script immediately. It was just fantastic. Mm. Um, so I was like 
look, whatever happens, happens. I just really want to be a part of it. And it was honestly the best week of my life. It was fantastic. fantastic. It seems to be a very visual short, Demi. There's not a lot of words in it. No, there isn't. And I think it's it's better because you don't have to hear, you don't need to listen to someone to know that they're not comfortable in the situation or you could see their emotions clearly on their face. And yeah. a lot of the lighting paints, every, like it's very, very visual. Um, which is fantastic. Like I said, it's completely different to what I'm used to doing. So mm. it was very hard to do, but it was brilliant to watch and I'm so proud of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. As an actor, words are sometimes how you communicate. So you got to work an awful lot harder with your expressions and with just how you hold yourself. Was it a challenge that way? Oh, 100%. Like, there was times where it was a bit frustrating because naturally you want to say something to, like you said, express yourself, but to show the emotion that you're feeling and you want to say a word but you're like you shouldn't because it, it reads better on the face you know yeah. um, but it's gas because like working in 96 I'm so used to using my face to express myself instead of just speaking yeah. so like on air I'm speaking away and I'm making all these facial expressions and I'm like I know we watch no from outside you know? yeah no one can see what I'm doing um, but it, it was honestly fantastic to film and it is like I said 100% visual yeah yeah, it's a difficult um, thing to think about too as, as a young woman. Well, you're 19 now um, and t- to put yourself into the position of, of a young woman who's wondering uh, whether she can have children and then drawing on your Nigerian roots, that meant a lot to you. Oh, it did. Um, to speak like the traditional language of, of the character as well was very different. I, I'd never had to speak it before for a job. Um, it was very difficult to portray a woman. I like obviously I'm very grateful to say that I haven't experienced it, yeah. but to to do it in the correct manner that it wouldn't offend anyone was very very difficult. But like I said, I've never experienced this, so I didn't know what to use to research you to speak to people. It's like doing any other job; you just need to know what you're talking about before you speak, you know, or do yeah. anything, yeah. you know. Your Nigerian roots, like to to us, Demi, you're as Cork as Cork can be. But we <laughs> we, we we forget, like you you were born in Nigeria, weren't you? Yeah, I was born in Nigeria. I moved here when I was two, and my both my parents, my biological parents, are Nigerian. Yeah. Um, but the only difference is, and this is a very small detail, is that the language that's spoken in the film and the language that I speak are two different languages. So that was another oh. stepping stone as well. So I had to learn a different language, which I. Pretty sure I butchered, but I was told that it was perfectly fine. But I'm just like perfectionist. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and from what little I know about that part of the world, and it's, and it's very little, there are hundreds of languages. So yeah, they're all, and they're all different. All different. Some do sound similar sometimes, but they still mean different things. So it was very hard to perfect it. Mm. Um, but honestly, it was, and I know I keep saying it, it was just great, and it was a great experience to have. Yeah, well, done that, you know. All I've seen is the trailer and some clips, and I'm so excited to see it. Uh, at the festival or wherever we'll get to see it but congratulations on it because you, you, look, so you look like you've nailed it Demi and, congr- and listen no, we'd have no doubts about you we'd have no <laughs> doubts <laughs> it's called All My Darlings are you back on the air tomorrow? I am from 2 to 6 with Darren and I'm going to bring all the best showbiz news and music as you can think of alright and all those facial expressions Demi great Demi Isaac of our way uh, of the new movie Young Offender Star, of course, that's where we first met her. And of course, uh, Saturday afternoons with Darren on Cork's 96 FM. It's, it's just, it's just it, you know what we do? We just lock the studio and let them off at it because it's, it's crackpot. And she's in this wonderful new film called All My Darlings, which will be showing at the Indie Cork Film Festival. Congratulations to our Demi. Can we just talk?
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Are you ready? Cork's 96FM loves Irish music. As part of Irish Music Month on independent radio across Ireland, we're looking for you to take part in our local hero talent search. If you're in a band or a solo artist, you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM in October. It's your chance to win an overall €5,000 prize fund, get your record released and have your music played on 25 independent radio stations across Ireland. For full details, see 96FM.ie. Irish Music Month, proudly supported by Cork's 96FM and Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. Ah, so your plans for the weekend are many and varied. Pa and Balancholic, I hope you're not winding me up, and if you are, I hate you even more. <laughs> pa is headed for the Canaries tomorrow for a bit of warm weather cycle training. Hate you. Leanne says, I have my son's christening tomorrow. It's been cancelled already, so hooray, hooray, it's going ahead. My son, who's nine, is playing his very first soccer match on Sunday, so I'm going to go to that, and I can't wait to see him and his team playing. So a good weekend in store for me. Hope you all have a nice weekend also at 96FM. Thank you, and thank you, Leanne. Burr is blessed, her grandchild, making First Holy Communion tomorrow. His name is Scott Doody, a big event for the family. There's a couple more in there. Yeah, uh, Anne, the Queen of Farnry. Hi, Anne. She says, I'll be celebrating my birthday, and it's a great night because I missed it last year. I love my birthdays. You went to one of them. I did, I did, and I still have the memories. <laughs> uh, Vivian in Spain, and Viv Benestias, and she rubs it in a little bit. It's 27 degrees forecast where Viv is for the weekend. She says, a full weekend, full weekend, two birthday parties, an afternoon tea at a friend's house, I'll wander around an antiques exhibition, a market, and we family coming over for a quick visit, which will inevitably be turned into three bottles of wine and a three-course meal and many hours of chat. And somewhere in there I need to soak up some sun. 27 degrees. Might do a paella on Sunday if the mood takes us. Ah, Viv, stop. <laughs> but have a lovely weekend. Have a wonderful weekend. 1857 On Cycle Helmets, Tony says... You also see a lot of people on scooters not wearing helmets. And to be fair, scooters generally tend to travel a bit faster, have less protection and are more unstable. Not that I'm against them. I use one myself. They're great. But you could, you could, you could have safety problems and you should have safety gear. Actually, speaking of scooters, there was a man died in the last couple of days. Back in the day, if you look it up on YouTube, you'll find pictures and videos of a Sinclair C5, which was a bit like a, a tiny little battery-operated yoke. It wasn't It wasn't a scooter, and it wasn't a motorbike, and it wasn't a meek. It was just a, a little thing. Look it up. A Sinclair C5. And, and it was, you could go on the roads, and they were tiny and compact and lethally dangerous and all these things. But the man who invented that, Clive Sinclair, he died this week at the age of 81. But he was way ahead of his time for small on-the-road vehicles, and it's the scooters that we have now. Thanks, Tony, for that. On the post, there is a big problem with the post. Councillor Jar Kyohan was on to say, yeah, there is a big problem with the postal service in Glenmire. Many people have voiced their concerns. 
I've tried several times to let Unpost know, but unfortunately no response back yet from Unpost. This emerged from Deirdre earlier on, who was on to tell us that she posted a letter in McCurtain Street on Monday to go to Bishopstown, and it still hasn't arrived. It would be in Boston faster. It seems to be the general, the general consensus. One last one before we go to our next call on bat cooking. Fiona said that'll be what she'll be spending her weekend doing. She's running out of things like stews. Let PJ know, says Caroline, or let Fiona know rather, that shepherd's pie and chicken chasseur are good batch freezer foods. So is chicken on skewers or whatever meat you want. Just add potatoes or rice or chips. Shepherd's pie, oh yeah. Make, don't just make one shepherd's pie. Make mounds of the stuff. Mounds of it and free, cut it into bits and put them into bags and freeze them and nuke it then. And chicken chaser, or chicken chaser, chicken chaser was called in our house, chicken chaser. Yeah, make loads of them. Chili. I know they're really small kids, but you know. Educate their palates. <laughs> 1850-715-996. Good news yesterday from the Everyman. Uh, in, they issued a press release confirming that they are reopening on the 23rd of September after 547 days of the doors being closed. And that is great news. The, the beating heart of theatre in Cork is the Everyman. Their CEO, Sean Kelly, and he joins me. Sean, good morning. Morning, PJ. A huge sigh of relief. It'll be a big, big day. Uh, yeah, huge. We're really looking forward to, it, forward to it now. It's been a long 547 days with a lot of ups and downs and probably more downs than ups, mm. um, like a lot of people during the, the course of that. But we're really looking forward to it now. The whole team is buzzing. The whole building is buzzing. Mm. Um, there's so much going on now um, and it's it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, We had a little taster during the summer of what we were missing up in Elizabeth Fort, but nothing would beat getting back indoors. You you won't be able to go to full capacity for some time, though, will you? Um, no, we won't. Um, we are entitled to go to 60% capacity at the moment, but we're not going to do that. We're going to start off with very small numbers next week mm. um, to make sure that everything is, is safe because while we're really excited to be open, um, safety of our audiences and our artists is still by far the most important consideration. So we're open to very small numbers um, and we want to make sure that all the systems that we have in place are are working properly and um, all going well, then we'll increase the number slowly up towards maybe the sixty percent capacity in the in the coming weeks. Yeah, um, yeah. But we the, will have to be, you know, we have to do things like check uh, people's vaccination status and all yes. of that. Oh, I was um, going to go so there that, next. That's that people will have to show their vaccination vaccination status getting in, will they? Um, yeah, that's right. Um, so um, that that will be the case until at least October 22nd and we mm. will await further government guidance yeah. then, but we will be checking um, everybody's vaccination status at the door so there won't be anybody in the building who's not vaccinated. Will you have a, um, an event for the jazz, seeing as there is a jazz this week, this year? 
Um, yeah, we're hopeful. Uh, we're very hopeful of having several jazz events, um, and we're talking to the jazz festival. Good. They're as keen as we are and as excited as we are. Um, obviously, the go ahead has come kind of later this year than it normally would. We normally have the jazz festival on sale now, um, yeah. but um, I suppose in the current context, yeah. those are good late planning. Oh, yeah. well, we're still, we're, we're still waiting for a program anyway. But I was just wondering, how, are you preparing for one? And, and assume that you are, which is which is great. And you have a program announced for for the autumn and winter which is on your, your your website and people can take a look at it there one thing I don't see on it I'm assuming a decision has not yet been made or has it been on a panto, Sean? Um, we are I would say more than 90% certain we're going to do a panto this year oh. so we're um, um, you know, obviously that is dependent on the situation continuing to improve the way it is, but we really are very, very hopeful this year. It was such a disappointment that we coun't do it last year. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of families are disappointed. I know my own children were very disappointed. So we really are determined to to move heaven and earth to have a panto this year. A decision on that, I suppose, in the weeks to come. Um, yeah, we're hopeful to be able to announce in the next in the next few weeks. We're just, it's, you know, we're just running through again all of the considerations and to make sure again that everybody is yeah. safe and that all of our participants in the panto are safe and can, and again, and it will be safe for all of the families. And your, your opening night already is sold out, I think, is it? Um, yeah, our first three nights are completely sold out. Um, so, um, but there's obviously there's tickets for other shows. But yeah, it's going to be we've filled the capacity that we're that we wanted to make available um, for our opening night. It's, we're sorry that we can't accommodate more people, but sure. for opening night, particularly safety is the, yeah. the most important. It's, it's a world premiere as well of um, a show by Aidan O'Donoghue. Um, yeah, Aideen is an artist we know very well. She's a fantastic local artist, and I think it's very appropriate that we open uh, with a Cork artist and a new Cork show. So it's um, it's a terrific um, uh, work as well. So we're really excited about that, great. and we know that anyone who comes is going to have a great night at it. Right. Well, listen, good luck to everybody involved over the, the weeks and months. So we, we await with bated breath the announcements for things like the jazz and the panto, but it's great to see things opening up again. It's great to see a theatre starting up again. And uh, to everybody at the Everyman, uh, and to everyone who attends the Everyman, and I can't wait to be back inside there myself very, very soon. Sean Kelly, CEO of the Everyman, uh, thanks very much for being with us on the Opinion Line, and we'll get that decision on the Panto very soon. He just said it there. They're very, very certain, they're almost certain that they will have. They just got to cross some T's and dot some I's and make sure this can be done safely and that can be done safely. So the next few weeks, they'll let us know. But looking good. At this stage, looking good for an Everyman Panto for 2021. Isn't that great news? Come here. Something we'll be doing on Monday. We are featuring um, the story again of the Onakura Centre. Because there is a public meeting in Middleton on Monday night to do with the uh, Onakura Centre. And during the week, I went down to visit the centre and I met some relatives and I was delighted to meet with some of the people who live there. Some of them have been living there for five years, ten years. And it is their home. And I was privileged to sit in... There's a lovely little garden at the front of it with a little table, some trees, and there was birds in the trees. And it was lovely. lovely. It was just a very nice evening. And I went down and I spent some time with them um, just to talk about what it would mean to them to have to move out of there which is where it looks that we'll have to do at the end of October, because as we know, the HSE is planning to close it.
at the end of October. It says it's no longer fit for purpose. And I'll tell you more on Monday about why I can't see the sense in that. Um, the, this, and I, I found myself in a position where I was walking around going, sure, if you wanted to rebuild it, there's law. I'll go through all that with you on Monday. But uh, let's have a listen to just a clip, just a clip of some of the residents of the Onakura Centre uh, that I met when I was down there earlier on this week. What do you like about being here? Um, it's very central. Um, um, there's 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 everything within reach, and um, as well as that, um, the the staff are great. And you have no idea where you might have to go when it closes, do you? They haven't told us anything about that, and the staff say the same. The doctor over there, we have dentist over there, opticians, hearing aid, hairdressers, chiropodists. Everything you need. Yeah, and these services are right on the doorstep, and they tend to draw me out, mm. humanise me, and it helps me forget my problems. To me, the location of this place is like a medicine. It's, it contributes to me getting better. I'm from here anyway, you know, so I'll miss the place badly, like. Yeah. Fair enough, the place ain't fit for purpose. Even the manhole covers outside the door are um, 1972. Yeah. It's 49 years old, this place, you know. Yeah, yeah. You dilapidated yeah, it all, you know. are getting emotional at the thoughts of having to leave. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was down there with them for a little while on Tuesday evening, and you can hear that full package on Monday and there is a public meeting in Middleton on Monday night Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call in person or call them now They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk CMIG.ie Can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. I have a picture in front of me of a cake. Now, it's not just any old cake. It's quite a spectacular looking cake. And on it, it's got like a map of Cork, parts of Cork, signposts and little pictures of shops and, and other things. It's a super, super a piece of work and it is the work of Tracy Desmond. Hey Tracy Desmond Bell, good morning to you. Hello PJ, how are you? It's gorgeous. Good, ah, thanks so it much. It would thanks. almost be a sin to eat it. <laughs> it was, I hate that when I make a cake for family and I see them cutting it I'm, no, don't touch it. But, yeah. This is Trace, Trace of Cakes in, in Ballincollig. Tracy, the, the the art of cake decoration, it just goes, gets yes. better and better and better. Like gone are the days it now does. when you just try a yeah. bit of icing and stick a candle in it. That's it. They're a yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot involved in it. Yeah. Um, I think one thing though, I, I feel myself, you kind of have to be good at art. You have to be good with even sculpting and things like that to be able to go to the next level, you know. Um, there's a lot of unbelievable cork bakers around as well and, you know, you'd be in awe and watch what people make, you know, the talent is unbelievable. Yeah. Tell me about that one though. Oh. Where's the idea come for that? 
Well, obviously, that was from my lovely mum, whose yeah. birthday was yesterday. She had a big birthday, and I'm not allowed to say. And <laughs> so, uh, mum, you know, it was just difficult to decide what I was going to do. Obviously, there's, you know, there's all the typical that you could do, the handbags and the, you know, the the real glam side of things, which she is anyway. But I always like to think outside the box. Um, so I just kind of decided, you know, isn't it lovely to kind of do a bit of a this is your life type of of yeah. um thing? So, um, so I just said I'd I'd paint her family home where they grew up in Churchfield Terrace, the corner house there. Um, uh, you know, and I kind of went further afield. Then I was trying to add in the sunbeam where she used to work, wow. Telecom Air, not the chop, Shandon, North Cathedral. Um, she made her confirmation and communion in the North Cathedral. So, but it's great because it's a talking point. Yes. Um, and as soon as as people saw the cake, they're oh, I remember this. So I remember that. Yeah. And Mum gave us stories then, and you know, kind of just it's a conversation piece, I suppose. Really, it starts it starts so, a whole yeah. line of conversation. Do people does, yeah. come to you, Tracy, with photographs or with ideas like that? Oh, they do. They do. Um, yeah. And it, it's that's the hardest job, I suppose, is trying to get their ideas put onto cake. Um, so, look, I, I I can try and do everything and anything. I've done wedding cakes where where there's, you know, I've even my neighbour there got married a few years ago and I was doing um, hand painting where they met in Waterford um, Technology. Par- or, I can't remember the name of the, the college. But then where they, yeah, yeah. Um, where they live now, you know, and all these little elements. And I think it's lovely to be personal, isn't it? Mm. It it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's a big business. I mean, you know, there's a lot of work. So you'd hope mm. you'd, you'd hope that it's quite a profitable business when when you put a lot of work into something. Yeah, there's a lot. No, do you know what? I think the amount of hours that all of us cakers put in is not equivalent to the amount of money that's made. Mm. Absolutely. And they will, t- everyone will tell you that. Like even for mum's cake there, I finished her cake at quarter past four in the morning. Um, and that wasn't even finished. To me, I had another six hours to go with it. Get and I just off. ran out of time. Right. Oh, and, and how, yeah, long, yeah. how long had you been at it? I would probably say maybe about eight hours, maybe. Crikey. You know, it's it's a process. You kind of come back to things, you know, you keep coming back. But um, yeah, most cakes, most cakers, as we call ourselves, mm. we're still up at two, three, four in the morning. Wow. Um, because of the work we put into it. it's We don't count the hours. My hours just fly by. I don't even think about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of work. And a lot of work. In you, it. T- t- tell me that you just decorated. You don't actually bake the cake as well. <laughs> oh, I do, of course. Yeah. yeah. I'm a one-man band here. So I bake and assemble and, um, you know, decorate. And then if there's a wedding cake, I go out and, and deliver it and set it up and do the whole display as well. So Fabulous. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> if you, but you love it. I love it. It's when people come to the door and collect their cakes and see their faces. And I've had I've had men come to the door crying because they were so emotional over collecting a cake. You know, honestly, it's every occasion that I make a cake for is a happy one, and that's what I love that you're involved in that. You know. Yeah, yeah. It clearly mm. gives you gives you great pleasure. Well, long may that continue. It does. I'm with that. Continue. Thank you so much. Trace of cakes. It's on Instagram if they want to find you. Yeah. I am.
And are you on, Peter, are you Facebook, is. Twitter, where else are you? I'm everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> All right, Trace, Trace of Cakes, you'll find it in Balancholic. Super work. It, it, it would almost be a sin to eat it, but still, 1850s, and there's a, that, that, that cake is just, it's gorgeous. We, we, I think we, are we sharing it? Yeah, we are. We're sharing that picture on our Twitter of the cake she made for her own mum's birthday. A kind of a this-is-your-life type effort. Uh, all made up in a cake. 1850-715-996. Quick reminder to you that Cork 96FM's local hero talent search has just kicked off in association with Hot Press. And we're reaching out to you if you're a band or a hip-hop act or a rapper or a DJ or a singer-songwriter. Then you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM. Like you might be the next Shane Codd or Lyra or Pitcher This or you name it, you could be the next one. We want to hear from you. Is the next Ed Sheeran hiding in our midst and we haven't heard about him? As part of Irish Music Month this October, an independent radio across the country, we're looking for your demos. This is the bit where it gets exciting. We're looking for your demos. What would you do? Email an MP3 to this email address, irishmusic at 96fm.ie. irishmusic at 96fm.ie. There's a €5,000 prize fund. You'll get your record released and have your music played on radio stations across Ireland. It's all part of Irish Music Month, which is proudly supported by Cork's 96FM and Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. I've just started watching this and here comes season two. It's the trailer for The Morning Show, which has been kind of tucked away on Apple TV, which is why it's not got sort of the acclaim it deserves. It's a great show, and they've just confirmed season two. I only discovered it recently, and I'm just about getting into it. Shirley Donovan's been watching it all, though. Uh, hey, Shirley, how are you doing? Morning, PJ. This is a little gem tucked away on Apple TV. This is the gift that everyone needs to receive. I can't believe you haven't seen it. Um, oh, it's great. So you have a fantastic cast, it's just 10 episodes, so it's a nice, handy little one. Yeah. And season two is dropping, actually, today. Today. I only found out this week there right. was a season two. No, the reason is I have Apple TV, but you kind of forget about it. And then I'm reading, this is great, and it's set in a newsroom, and it's, it's, it's right down my street. I just missed it. But go, go through it for people. I want to go looking for it. Okay, so basically what you have here is the morning show, as the title suggests, is about um, an American morning TV show, I suppose, along the lines of in America, NBC Today show or Phil and Holly here. And you have two co-hosts played by Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell. Um, it emerges in the very first episode that Steve's Carell char- character has been accused of uh, sexual misconduct and he therefore loses his job leaving Jennifer Aniston solo, but also very compromised because their partnership was what the strength of the show had been built on. So in the meantime, you then have a very brash, loudmouth journalist played by Reese Witherspoon, who goes viral on the internet uh, for challenging somebody at a rally. She gets picked up by the network and the story kind of develops from there. So I'm not obviously going to give any spoilers, but... There's an awful lot in it about the, te- a lot. the changing face of television and news and media and how the message is delivered and way, the way the message is prepared for delivery. It's a very eye-opening series. 
It is. It's very gritty. And to be honest, I suppose when I saw the original promos for this, which would have been maybe end end of 2019, I just thought Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, I thought this was going to be like a two-hander, fluffy comedy show. So I didn't watch it immediately. And when I came to it, probably during at the, at the beginning of the first lockdown, I was surprised at how gritty it was. Um, you have these actresses that are probably known for these romantic comedy kind of lighthearted roles being real powerhouses in their performance. And you have then supporting actors like Steve Carell, who is phenomenal in this as well. And you could kind of look at Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston and say, these are the roles that they should have always been playing. The comedy wasn't. Can, well, it was good, but this is great. Can I can I make a confession to you? That's kind of why I only discovered it recently. Because when I saw the yeah. blurb, I said, oh God, I'd sit in a newsroom, Jennifer Aniston, and the last thing I want is friends in a news desk. Do you know? <laughs> yeah, like I was thinking... I, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, this is going to be like a Will Ferrell um, sitcom type thing. Now, you know, Anchorman meets friends is what I thought. Yeah. Um, but you can, this is one of these shows and you're probably going to be like this now as well as you move through it. You're going to want everyone to watch this so you can talk about it. I think it's you're one right. of those. I've of seen shows. two episodes now and I just literally am getting home and I'm, I'm at the point now, right, okay, when can I watch another episode? When can I get an hour? Because, and may, maybe the, the thing is, it's because it's on Apple, which isn't the biggest of the platforms, that's mm-hmm. maybe why people have missed it. It is, but it's something that's definitely worth worth uh, worth the look and f- try to find it. You know, if you don't have Apple TV, I'm sure there are other ways you can get it. But there's, it kind of, the first season seems to have, it was kind of covering the kind of Me Too movement in their own way, kind of via TV and media. And as you say, how news is being delivered. And from what I've seen of promos of season two, it's moving towards where they're incorporating the pandemic and then they're moving towards cancel culture. So it's kind of, this is going to be another very gritty season. They rewrote the second season. I was reading this in an article. They, they, They actually had the second season almost in the can. They were about to begin filming and they said, no, hold on, let's write in the pandemic. Exactly. So I suppose, again, you have, because Aniston and Reese Witherspoon are, are executive producers on this, they have a lot of say of, of the content of the show and how it's how it's going to move through the different seasons. So I suppose they would have had, I think the second season was written even before the first one had almost finished airing. So it would have been very much pre-pandemic. So I suppose it just goes to show the money that's behind the show and the production which you can see you know they're throwing money at this when you watch it absolutely it's really top quality stuff really really well filmed Mm -hmm. and interested as well listen there's something else as well and all I haven't watched believe it or not yet I haven't watched Drive to Survive my daughter is now a Formula One geek because she started watching (laughs) Drive to Survive My, my brother has no interest in Formula One but he's hooked on Drive to Survive and kind of almost as a follow-on now everybody's talking about the Schumacher documentary on Netflix Yeah, this is one that there's a lot of interest in so this came out on Netflix on Wednesday so as you say you have loads of Johnny come lately, as I'll call them, Formula One fans who have come to Formula One through Drive to Survive, which look, it's brilliant for the sport. But I think you probably have to keep in the back of your mind that this is a Netflix production of Mm. Formula One. It's not 100 percent what, you know, the truth of Formula One. But prior to Drive to Survive, we would have had the Senna documentary about the life of Ayrton Senna. 
And obviously, Michael Schumacher as a race driver was a massive um, character in Formula One over the last probably 20 years. And despite his his current condition, there's still huge interest in him. um, And the interest is very high. But this documentary that's come out on Netflix isn't really going to reveal... Um, anything in terms of his current condition and his health. It's more a retrospective and a kind of a look back at all that he achieved and how he got there. You see, that's the, the, because I was afraid that they were going to start getting quite prurient about his medical condition because I think it's admirable the way his family have just closed ranks on him. You don't get to see. It's none of your business. He had a skiing accident. He suffered a serious injury. His career is over. Move on. Nothing to see. Exactly. And you know what? It's probably a testament as well to the entire community around him in terms of Formula One as an industry. All the different teams, all the drivers and the management, that all of them are obviously privy to this information as well. And not one of them has ever compromised him or his family's privacy in any way. And now especially his son is now driving in Formula One this year for the very first year. So there's a lot of refocused back on the Schumacher name. Yeah, but when you when you watch it, and I it's, uh, I just watched ten minutes as a teaser because I knew we'd be we'd be talking about it. Like mm. the guy was a genius, and, and even if you're a not genius. into Formula One, he was a genius. And I think you know what this documentary will show. If you if you are a fan of Formula One, or even if you're not, I think Drive to Survive is worth the look. If you're not a fan of Formula One, but if you are a fan, you you'll know these drivers. You'll have seen their post race interviews. You'll see how arrogant and how confident they are, um, almost to the point where you'd nearly dislike them because they're they can be quite arrogant in in the way they talk and their mannerisms. But I think this documentary will give a lot of reflection and, and kind of insight into the other side of Michael Schumacher, his his home personality, mm. his humour. And I think a lot of people, and I don't know if this is going to be featured in the documentary, but Michael Schumacher's very first break in Formula One came from Eddie Jordan. That's right. That's right. So That's his, his very first race was for the Jordan team and he was snapped up by Benetton directly after it. He only ever had one race, but that was his big break in Formula One. Yeah. And Irishman gave it to him. Listen, thank you very much, Shirley. As always, that's uh, Shirley Donovan. Looking to the morning show, Apple TV Series 2 dropping uh, today or yesterday. Series 1. Yeah, she's right. I've only seen an episode or two. It's fabulous. It's just <laughs> like, it's everything that I love in a television show. And I would have thought, oh God, no, that's going to be silly. It's not. It's brilliant. And then the do- documentary Schumacher on Netflix, if you're looking for something to watch. Uh, over the weekend. A couple of things to get to before I... Yes, Tim Brosnan was on about the Everyman to say they deserve special mention for having kept long-term staff on the books during the pandemic and topping up their pandemic payment. Compliments to Sean and the team. Unique in Cork, if not in Ireland, as far as Tim knows. And I knew they were doing that. And it was great. Uh, and that's, I think, that's one of the reasons why the Everyman is so loved. Everyone loves the Opera House, yes, but the Everyman is such a, an important place in Cork theatre and Cork arts. And it, it doesn't surprise me that they did that. It doesn't surprise me because that's the kind of people that they are there. Speaking of events, Dee says, enjoy tonight, no fear of you. Duck and water springs to mind. Ah, oh, yeah, but you'd still be a bit nervous, wouldn't you? Uh, the top 10 foods to get us in the mood. Yeah, no. Very quickly before we finish, what do you think are the top foods to get us in the mood? The top one. Quickly now, you have five minutes. Text me, right? What is the food that gets you in the mood? We have five minutes. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. I wake up every morning. Get even more of Casey and Ross in the morning on the Highlight Show. Your chance to catch up and listen again. Saturday between 9 and 10 a.m. Everything is just right. On Cork's 96FM. Now, if your plans for the weekend include a bit of How's Your Father, right? Or you'd like them to include a bit of How's Your Father, you better be very careful how you feed uh, your other half. Tim reckons give Magnum ice cream. No, Tim, won't work. You'd think chocolate, wouldn't you? Mm, maybe all right. Oysters, they just leave a bad smell. Curry works. Lobster, if you can catch it. Uh, a roast dinner, maybe. A pizza, pasta, McDonald's. A crew bean, says Jim. Crew bean. No, Jimmy, and Crubeen, Jimmy, if you want to sort of indulge in the pleasures of the flesh, no, not a Crubeen, I promise you, no, not a Crubeen. A fry-up? Maybe, maybe, but do you really want to go cooking a fry at nine o'clock at night? Do you know, to see, can you, yeah. Uh, no, um, do you know what'll sort of get you sorted um, better than anything? Is a well-cooked, well-presented, nice, juicy, Steak. That's what the science says. See, I always told you vegans didn't know what they were missing. The program edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you Monday just after nine. You're listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie.